Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Very Cold Lasagna Podcast, your place for all those filthy casual takes on the world of sports. I'm your host, Dylan Lasagna, and in this episode, episode number 170, we got another late, out-of-date review on a certain pay-per-view that happened this past Saturday, and oh boy, it was certainly a one that was very talked about um, for some things that happened, something that happened towards the very end of that show, but we're going to talk about it when we get there, and this event that I'm talking about is from the WWE side of things, and that was Survivor Series, not just any Survivor Series, Survivor Series War Games, pal, so we're going to talk about it in this review, in this episode, episode 170, so sit back, relax, and get whatever drinks or beverages that you got as you try to recover from your Thanksgiving weekend, or maybe you're still trying to shop uh, on Cyber Monday, whatever have you. But yeah, it was a very event-worthy weekend of sorts. Um, it was certainly for me. My 49ers got their Thanksgiving revenge on the Seahawks, and then, of course, we had this pay-per-view. And, of course, the NFL action that ensued on this weekend and is going to wrap up um, on Monday Night Football with that great Bears football game. I, no, I'm kidding. But, yeah, uh, before we get into the actual review of itself, uh, a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Make sure you follow uh, Very Cold Lasagna on Twitter and Instagram. I'm sorry, X at Very Cold Lasagna. And then for all my audio listeners out there, make sure you listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We get Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever Very Cold Lasagna is available. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit the like button, smash the subscribe button if you're not already. Leave a comment with your own takes on whatever I'm talking about. In this case, it's Survivor Series and whatever matches or things that I'm talking about. And let's start a discussion about it, especially with all the things I'm going to cover in this episode. So that being said, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive deep into my late, out-of-date Survivor Series 2023 review, which took place in the Allstate Arena in Chicago, Illinois, which is technically not Chicago, which is actually in Rosemont, Illinois, for, I don't know why WWE insists on calling it Chicago. They do that thing with Los Angeles, uh, California, when technically uh, SoFi is in Inglewood, but nonetheless, I digress. So for this Survivor Series, um, they announced this back in July when uh, they did the whole shebang with the announcement that it was gonna be in the Allstate Arena in in Rosemont, Illinois, they previously did Survivor Series in this arena in 1989 and 2019. For those of you that don't follow WWE or um, all those filthy casual fans out there, like myself, so the question became whether uh, this would become just a regular, traditional Survivor Series event. You know, like the regular five on five, four on four, traditional. Uh, tag team matches like we've seen in the past or would it go back to the Smackdown versus Raw uh, brand element that they did before like you know the old bragging rights uh, supremacy like we've seen in the last few years or was it going to retain the theme that we saw last year War Games the two rings two cages uh, themed matchup between uh, two teams Facing off one another in maybe in some kind of story kind of element, but nonetheless, we were wondering for like the last couple months which format they were going to go with this year, 
And then it was officially revealed during the Crown Jewel event weeks ago that it was once again going to be centered around War Games. War Games, ladies and gentlemen, because it was so successful last year that they wanted to do it again this year. It was a little kind of weird, in my opinion, that they didn't announce it like a little bit well before it advanced, but I digress. So for those of you unfamiliar with the War Games concept, um, the rules are as follows. So pretty much two teams competing in this two ring, two caged match in either on four on four or five on five. I think WWE once did it with three teams um, in a with three teams, two, two, two competitors each on one team. And but either way. So usually it's a four on four or five on five. Um, and then one team gets the advantage. So basically each member of the team starts first and then a member of one team that has the advantage starts uh, comes in after five minutes and then after that entrance of the uh, both teams alternate on the advantage on the uh, on evening the, the score and the advantage that happens for af- after a couple minutes until everyone's in the ring and then the match officially begins. So yes, once everyone is officially in the match war games officially begins and then that's when the decision is officially made by the winning team by either pinfall or submission originally when dusty Rhodes first created back in 1987 and wcw and the nwa originally did it there were no pinfalls there were only submissions or technical knockouts but in the the later wcw version and now wwe they introduced pinfalls and then there's also the occasional, but it hasn't happened yet, disqualifications for the team that decides to escape the cage. So, yeah, they implemented that rule. So, yeah, WWE has brought back War Games. They have uh, reintroduced it for the second year straight. But considering it being in Chicago, Illinois, or Rosemont, um, as they don't want to market that, the biggest question surrounding this event... Um, was surrounding uh, a certain return, a a certain man that claims himself as the voice of the voiceless. But the last time we saw this certain man, this certain Chicago-made man, he he went all out at all in London. That was the last time we saw this certain man. Was he gonna? Was he or was he not gonna show up? After two months of very subliminal messages by various different wrestlers. Now, for me, in my opinion, I mean, I certainly saw a couple of these subliminal messages on on X, on Twitter, but in all honesty, I wasn't really paying too much attention to it. I didn't really read too much in the lines of it. I mean, I certainly kind of knew what was going on, but I mean, I was paying more, much more attention to the NFL season, my opinion, because that was more interesting. And even if he did show up, I mean, like, okay, cool. I mean, he's back. He fits more there, but... In my opinion, let's see how this pans out um, in real life. But that being said, was he or was he not going to actually show up um, in in that stage, in that time? That was going to be interesting how that was going to play out. So that was the biggest question surrounding this event, considering that what, what just happened back at the end of August in London and how um, that played out and how things suddenly came together was he actually going to show up that was that was going to be the big question as the night played out 
So speaking of the night, let's get into the actual matches itself. Um, we had about five matches. I was hoping that the show was going to be um, over by, <laughs> I say, like, when I got when I got home, watched the replay. I was hoping it was going to be uh, at least three hours. <laughs> yes, that was my expectation. Since it's a five-match card, I was hoping at least be three hours, so I didn't have to, like, I didn't have to, like, waste my time um, wait, watching a very long-ass match. So... We started the night off with the women's war games match. Um, I thought it'd be the second match on the card, but nonetheless, you have to have a women's war games match somewhere. So the women's war games match involved damage control, which had Bailey, Io Sky, Kyrie Sane, and Asuka going up against the super team of Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch. Yes, she's there for whatever reason, and then just suddenly happy to be there, Shotzi Blackheart. At least. You know, I mean, I don't really care so much per se about this match, but looking at it from an outsider's perspective, at least this match actually had a little bit of story. It had a little bit of story elements because, you know, since the summer, Damage Control had been feuding with different members of the SmackDown roster for as thin as the women's division is. They had been feuding with Bianca. They had been feuding with Charlotte. They had been feuding with Asuka. They had been feuding with Shotzi. Uh, all summer long that had been prolonged into the fall um, because, you know, they shaved Shotzi's hair off and then the other three women were involved in EO Sky's women's, uh, women's Championship because EO cashed in her title, uh, cashed in on Bianca at SummerSlam and then they took Bianca out for like a few months in storyline. But then recently, um, Kyrie Sane came back to the WWE after like a year or two away or actually three years away so, for Bailey, yeah, things were uh, not looking good because you know she had this vice. She's created damage control, or as I like to say, Bailey Splatoon girls, um, because you had Eo and Dakota Kai, and all Dakota does is the Splatoon dance. But Dakota's injured right now. But nonetheless, um, things have not gotten so pleasant for Bailey because you know she's the leader, the creator of that damage control group, um, because Eo's longtime friend Kyrie saying returned at crown jewel she helped uh Io retain her title against bianca belair um and then Io, you know she's longtime friends with Kyrie, and then bailey um had flashbacks to 2020 when she and sasha banks um assaulted Kyrie backstage um and basically kicked her out in storyline of wwe but you know despite all that you know Kyrie forgave bailey uh, bailey on that smackdown after crown jewel um, but in my opinion, it was more deceptive. And then in the main event of that night, Asuka turned on Charlotte and Bianca to do to join damage control and basically set up war games. So in the next two weeks, you know, the, the group was basically, um, you know, just going, going on their own way, going merry way. But then you also saw at the same time, Bailey being oblivious to the fact that her grip on the group was slipping away, but she was completely oblivious to that fact. Meanwhile, uh, the super team of Team Bell Flair, as I like to call it, um, they're still trying to find a fourth member. They're still trying to find a fourth member because, well, um, Damage uh, damage Control took out Zelina Vega and and Mia, Mia and Yim, who were the only two members of the roster. So they had to go look on the outside. Um, and all that was left was Becky Lynch. Uh, regardless of how little to no sense it made, because you know Becky Lynch is on Raw, and I guess fuck the brand split. 
Uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, Becky Lynch, I mean, they really had no one else. They really had no one else to do. Um, so, yeah, I guess they had to use Becky Lynch. So, Becky Lynch was the fourth member of Team Bell Flair. Um, and they, they brought up the night before on SmackDown that Becky and Charlotte did have some real-life tension from a couple years ago. And they brought it up in storyline as a can they coexist in this match. So, for this match itself, um, it was revealed during the kickoff show that Team Bell Flair won the advantage. So, basically, the advantage was like, you know, they start off the match, as I said before. And after five minutes, the the winning team, the team with the advantage, would get one member of that uh, of their team into the match. So basically, creating a handicap match for a couple of minutes. So Team Bell Flair uh, won, won the advantage. So whoever came out after the five minutes would get one member from Bell Flair in that match. So yeah, this the the advantage was decided by a fan vote, sponsored by Chips. Yes, sponsored by Potato Chips, not just any Potato Chips, by Ruffles, Ruffles, ladies and gentlemen. However you decide, however you feel about Ruffles, hey, I, I personally think they're fine. I, I, I don't know which which one do I prefer most? Do I prefer Lay's? Do I prefer Fritos? Do I prefer uh, Pringles? Ruffles? I don't know. They're all, they're all fine in my opinion. But yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of weird that uh, 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 sponsored potato chips. I mean, they're making that money, I guess. But it was just weird that a, a potato chip decided uh, which team would get the advantage here. <laughs> but I guess everyone made that bank in that match. <laughs> I guess all that matters. <laughs> but man, this match was, uh, it was not good. I, everyone's like praising the fuck, praising the fuck out of this match. But when I look at this match, when I saw, I mean, this is not being, me being the S word. This match is overrated. This is overhyped. This is crapped. So let me talk about it first. So, you know, Becky and Bailey start off this match for their teams. And then you have Shotzi coming in to enter. And she brought in a load of weapons, you know, playing off that crazy uh, psychotic gimmick um, that she has. But then, and she she brought in a load of weapons. Um, and then she was like, she brought in a flurry of offense on Bailey. Um, but and then after that flurry, she botched a suicide dive that could have led to disaster that could have led to the whole match being fucked because she landed on her head like badly dude um and i'm glad that she was able to move just fine after she looked like uh she was gonna like get concussed i was real legitimately concerned for her um so that's that, that looked really bad that looked really bad because that could have uh fucked up the match uh, more than it could have so Legitimate concern for Shotzi there, but glad that she was okay uh, and able to move fine just after, right after that. So then you had EO Sky um, coming out next to even the advantage, uh, even the score for damage control, and then Bianca, the team captain per se, uh, for Team Bell Flair, come out to restore the advantage for her team. Then you had Kyrie Sane coming out, skipping for whatever reason, like she's AJ Lee for whatever God's forsaken reason. So she's basically acting like a goof. In what's supposed to be like a civil war kind of match, like what are you doing? Like why are you going like why are you like jumping, skipping to the ring? It's like come on, man, can we like bring a little bit of edge to this match? I mean, not like the wrestler, you know, um, but you know, bring a little 
seriousness to this match. Like, why, why, why are you acting like a goof for? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, the, the, that word, but come on. This is, what are you doing here? So anyway, Charlotte was the final member of Team Belflair to enter, and that's when, oh wait, that's not when War Games began, because we still had one other member. Um, so, Dakota Kai um, interfered in this match, like, much earlier on, and then she was still at ringside. Um, so, before Asuka entered, um, she she gave Eosky a trash can. Um, it was kind of a unique spot, which was, like, one of the, like, the only highlight of this match. So, Eo had this chain that was brought, she brought into the match, and she used it to have Dakota chain link it to a trash can, and she used it like a well, um, you know, like that bucket in a well kind of thing. So I thought that was interesting. That was kind of a cool spot. But then you had the, that was used, that trash can was used for a spot because they were at the top of the cage, and you all knew what was coming next. EO used the trash can to put it on herself because she went off, uh, jumped off the top of the cage onto everyone in the typical, let's get everyone in a circle jerk um, so I can dogpile onto you kind of shit. I mean, who saw that coming, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't. No, no, no. I certainly did not. So anyway, um, Oscar gets in the match, and then she brings in a bunch of more weapons, and then War Games officially began. So, I mean, there wasn't really a lot going on here. I mean, I get that Bailey was trying to save her team. Um, pretty much try, basically trying to pull a... What, what, what can we use as an NFL uh, analogy? She was trying to pull a Josh Allen. She was trying to pull a Josh Allen. Um, basically trying to do everything. Trying to do everything for her team. Pretty much like how Josh Allen basically has no help. And basic, or basically maybe like even a Patrick Mahomes um, without the receivers. Basically without any receiver help. So that's basically Bailey here. Uh, but yeah, the match officially began. Uh, Charlotte had this sloppy ass moonsault as usual except now it's even higher she did off the top of the cage onto everyone except Shotzi because she was taken out by Asuka with the mist earlier and then you had this moment between Charlotte and Becky um, after they double teamed on Kyrie uh, they finally hugged it out yeah friendship is magic pal but I mean it's good that they finally put their uh, tension in the past which hey I'll, I'll give them credit for that so the end saw Asuka tried to use the blue mist on Shotzi, but she gets taken out by some other mist. From, <laughs> sorry. No, it's just, I'm sorry. No. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, she she receives the fire extinguisher from Bianca, um, so that takes out Asuka. Um, and then Kyrie was about to get her lights taken out by Charlotte um, via the spear, but Bailey took the bullet for uh, Kyrie by pushing her out of the way, and then she received the spear. So as a result, Bailey got a bunch of finishers from the rest of the team, uh, the rest of the Super Trio and Shotzi, um, and then Bailey lost the match for her team by taking a rock bottom from the second rope from Becky through a table as the Super, the Super Trio and Shotzi won Women's War Games. So, I mean, I don't know, man. This match was not great. <laughs> it was not. There, there, there is a lot. I mean, with war games, the match doesn't officially begin until everyone's in the ring. So you have a. It's basically a lot of filler. But even when everyone was in the ring, it was like pretty sloppy at times. A lot of botchy moments. And then 
the purpose of this match basically was just like, okay, we're going to have the super friends, uh, the female super friends and Shotzi win this match. Like, literally, what's the purpose here? What was the purpose of, you know, basically recreating last year's war games, which I didn't review, by the way, because, you know, I time and lack of interest. But what was the purpose of redoing basically last year's match and then having the same result? It was basically Charlotte, Bianca, and Becky, and then Shotzi winning this match. It does nothing for them. It basically does nothing for them other than like, oh, oh, you see that damage control uh, is going to win this match. Oh, sorry. That's not going to work for me, brother. That's not going to work for me, brother. So you see, by having, if damage control were to win this match, but Bailey almost cost her team the win, it would have created a little bit more tension. It would have furthered the divide from Bailey. But now that they lost this match, I could give two shits less, even more. I don't even really give a shit. It, it further deep dippens. It further dippens whatever credibility that this group has. Like, I could give two shits less about Bailey. I could give two shits about her Splatoon group. Because, damn, they've taken so many L's after L's after L's that from a casual fan perspective, it's like, why should I care about this group? It's like, these, they still haven't explained after... Being here for, what, a year and a half now? Why they even formed in the first place? It's like, don't expect me to Google search it, pal. They still, Even if you Google search it, there's still no reason why. There's still no reason why. So, I mean, we all know where this is going. Bailey's going to get ousted from the group. Uh, she's going she's gonna to turn babyface, but it's like, if they had won this match, it would have been more impactful. The, Bailey's eventual exit from the group would have been more impactful had they won. But now that they lost, it's just going to look like, okay, just another average baby face that just got kicked out from the group, kicked to the curb. And now you have this super uh, group that is damage control thinking that they're super, but they're not because they lost so much. So speaking of the super, super groups, what does the rest, what does the other side do now? What does Charlotte and Bianca do now? Is there is that feud um, with damage control finally over with? Um, do they if they're heading on a collision course to facing each other in April finally get jump started? Does that finally slowly heat up? What about Shotzi? <laughs> I mean, she's kind of like the odd woman out now. Where she, what does she do after this? And then of course Becky, she's obviously heading back to Raw, and hopefully she stays her ass there. I mean, does she finally get that that feud? You know, T-H-A-T, that feud going because nobody else is there. Can she finally get that going? I mean, nose man. I don't want, we, we don't need to wait six months. We don't need to wait another four months to get that started. Or let alone two months. No, no. We don't need to wait till Philadelphia to get that shit started. Start it now. Start it Monday. R-Truth returned in the backstage segment. It's good to see R-Truth. We haven't seen him in a quite a long time. So we had our second match of the night. It was the Intercontinental Champion, the Ring General, Gunta, taking on The Miz. The Miz, um, a couple weeks ago, you know, he was slated to have Gunther on his talk show, Miz TV. But instead, Gunther and his group Imperium beat him down and kicked him out of the ring on his own talk show. And then a week later, The Miz won a fatal four-way match against Ricochet, Ivar, and Bronson Reed. 
to get this match against Gunther at Survivor Series. So, yeah, that's basically the crux of this match, ladies and gentlemen. So, this match actually was fun um, compared to the opening match that we saw with the Women's War Games match. So, I personally like this match. Um, I don't know if I would say um, until we saw more of the matches later on. This was my match of the night. <laughs> there was a lot a lot of good back and forth between the two. Um, a lot of potential, like, you know, I'm not a big, the biggest the, the biggest Miz fan. I thought that he put on a good showing here against the ring general Gunther, who I thought was brought the best out of him by the Miz. So Gunther pretty much dominated a large portion of the match, being physically dominant aside from, I mean, he did, he did basically... More than just the chops. I don't know why people saying, oh, he just he does just chops. Yes, that's a large portion, uh, half of his offense, but he just does more than that, ladies and gentlemen. He, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do the typical, oh, let's put him in the rest hold um, for a couple of minutes. I mean, sleeper hold, yes, is part of his finisher, but it is more than just, oh, chops. I mean, go, I, mean I would recommend uh, watching some, some of his other matches, like the triple threat back at WrestleMania. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, Gunther dominated a large portion of this match, uh, being physically dominant. Uh, the Miz got back into it, though, by targeting uh, Gunther's knee that the Miz actually went on to, like, injure um, early on, uh, the beginning of the match. Uh, Gunther tried to use a sleeper later on on the Miz, but the Miz bought himself some time, removed the turnbuckle padding to distract the referee. He dick-kicked Gunther twice. Uh, to hit the skull crushing finale, but Gunther kicked out. Um, the Miz tried to go for the skull crushing finale again, but Gunther reversed it back into a sleeper. Miz got out of that um, by ramming Gunther into the exposed turnbuckle. Tried to get a roll up for a two fall, but the Miz's flurry finally ended. Gunther clotheslined him, splashed onto him, but he didn't get the full impact like Corey Graves said. And then once he realized that, he used the walls of Jericho on him and then. I like this ending. I really like this ending. Um, <laughs> not only did the uh, Gunther not let the Miz go for a rope break, uh, he was very smart on that. He made the Miz tap by transitioning into a lion tamer to retain the title. I really like that ending because Michael Cole mentioned that if the Miz somehow managed to upset Gunther and win the Intercontinental title, he would tie Chris Jericho for the most Intercontinental title reigns at nine apiece. So I like I liked that they mentioned that because Gunther must have heard <laughs> in the back before the match um, and decided, you know what? Fuck you, Michael Cole. Fuck you, Jizz. I'm going to make you tap to the the move by the one of the greatest Intercontinental Champions of all time in Chris Jericho. I'm going to make you tap to that bitch. So <laughs> I love the pettiness. Uh, I, I, I love the pettiness right there. Making you tap to one the best submission finishes of all time and that's the walls of jericho and then into the lion tamer love the finish there love the finish but now the real question turns to who eventually dethrones the ring general because yeah looking at it so far with the raw mid card uh roster it's like not a lot of competition there i really thought it was going to be chad gable after um after that three match series that they had but it seems like they're not going that direction anymore. I'm kind of curious why. Um, they they kind of dropped it and relegating Chad Gable back to comedy sketches with Akira Tozawa and Otis. No, thank you. But yeah, this rate, 
like I don't know who they drop it to. Um, I don't know who they drop that icy title to for um, to Gunther. Jey Uso. I mean, it's a possibility. Uh, La Knight if he goes to Raw. I don't know. Either way, it's like I really thought thought at this rate that they would have at least someone or two people lined up to try and dethrone Gunther, like two legit people, to possibly dethrone Gunther for the IC title if the plan was to have Gunther win the Royal Rumble next in the next two months in, in Tampa. But at this rate, I don't think he's dropping that title anytime soon. Um, I know people are bored of Gunther. Um, some people don't like him, but it's like, I mean, what can you do at this rate? So next match, we had Carlito take on Santos Escobar. Basically, this all came about when, you know, the LWO was originally formed back in March leading up to WrestleMania. You know, Santos Escobar and Rey Mysterio, they formed that mutual respect with one another. But then as we get into the summer season, that season jealousy began to form. You know, they do this injury angle with um, Santos, who won a number one contenders match um, for who was the United States champion at the time, Austin Theory. But Austin Theory took him out, injured his knee. Uh, but um, Rey Mysterio took his place, even though, in my opinion, I thought it was Santos Escobar insisted on Rey taking his spot, which I thought, why, why is Santos getting jealous when, you know, he insisted? He insisted on Ray uh, replacing him in that match. So it was kind of weird. But nonetheless, uh, Ray Mysterio won the U.S. title um, in place of Santos Escobar from Austin Theory um, in that August episode of SmackDown. And then a couple months later, you had Carlito making his full time return to WWE after he showed up at Backlash in May. Now he's back in WWE full time. He returned at Fastlane to help out Ray and Santos in that match against Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. And now the attention towards uh, attention was turned towards him within the LWO. You know, Carlito was officially ingrained in the Latino world order. But then, within the the seeds of jealousy increased with Santos Escobar. He looked agitated uh, that Santa that Carlito was just suddenly embraced within that group that Santos first created. Um, so he was like, "Oh man, like really." We just embraced Carlito with open arms, like really. So anyway, um, in, in this match with like a couple weeks later, Ray had this match with Logan Paul at Crown Jewel for the U.S. title, and one of Logan's cronies came out, and Santos seemed like you know he was gonna help out Ray even the score, um, because Logan's cronies brought out some brass knuckles, but then once as he was chasing him away, Santos left the brass knuckles next near the ring apron. And that was the key to Logan winning the U.S. title. So Santos was called out for it by Carlito in front of the entire LWO, and rightfully so. He was an asshole for it. <laughs> and then that was the re- yeah he basically called out for that for being the reason why Ray lost. And then after Carlito's match that he had with Lashley, Santos completed his turn to the dark side, like Anakin. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> and he injured. In, in storyline, Ray's knee, but actually Ray is legit injured. Um, speedy recovery to him. So he injured in storyline, uh, Ray's knee. He kicked his his leg into the steel steps and yeah, he took him out of action. So Santos pretty much explained that Dominic was right. Never meet your heroes because yeah, they do dirty shit to you. 
And then he's burned his bridges with uh, Ray, Zelina Vega, the rest of the LWL. Um, he cut this really good promo, his scathing promo. He ran away from Carlito. And then the night before Survivor Series, the, the match was already set up. But then they had this brawl that ended with Santos also injuring Carlito. He injured his arm. And then Dragon Lee um, saved Carlito from further injury. And yeah, basically the match was about to be called off between Carlito and Santos Escobar. But then Dragon Lee's like, no, no, I want to avenge Carlito and Rey Mysterio. He went to Dick Aldis and said, give me the match. Let me replace Carlito. Um, and he's like, you want the match? Yeah. You want the match? Yeah. You're going to get it, pal. So basically we're getting the same match except with no Carlito, we're getting Dragon Lee. I really wanted to see Carlito, man. I was like, I, I like that was like one of the few things that I was looking forward to Survivor Series. I mean, other than you know the certain two returns that I was uh, trying to pay attention for, Carlito, Carlito. I really want. This is like the first time in a long time that we were gonna see Carlito on a pay per view, and yet they robbed us of it. They robbed us of Carlito, man. Like, I don't know if he's legit injured or maybe they're just delaying um, the actual match with Santos and Carlito till a later date. But either way, it's like, really? You had to pull that Bane switch on us, Triple H? Come on. Come on. Don't like don't announce that if you're not going to pull the trigger on it. And that's that's bullcrap. That is bullcrap. So anyway, I mean, this match um, itself is just like, I wasn't really into it. Um, I wasn't really into it because it was just like um, indie glorified technical work rate crap. Because like, I'm I'm sorry, like what's so special about Dragon Lee? Like what what what's really special about Dragon Lee? I mean, you, some of you can say about what oh what's so special about uh, Santos Escobar? I mean, at least with Santos, he actually can cut a de- uh, a, a good promo. He actually has some real some some good mic skills and. If he can kind of get delve deeper into like a mafia character that I think that's what they're going for, then then I I can go further deeper into oh okay he's good, he's really good at least he's trying at least Santos is actually trying. With Dragon Lee, all I can see is oh he looks like he he looks more of like oh he's a Ray Phoenix he's basically uh, W's version of Ray Phoenix. That's what I see in him, except that W is trying to uh, promote him as oh. He's the next uh, Rey Mysterio. He's the best. He's he's bringing the next generation of Lucha Libre. Okay. Then what's his gimmick? What's his character? Uh, he doesn't exude the same personality or Mike skills. Um, as, as the same charisma as Rey Mysterio. So what's so special about him? So, I mean, Santos Escobar wins this match. Um, it was... Kind of an interesting finish. You know, he reverses whatever finisher that Dragon Lee was trying to go for. Uh, he he reverses it into what they called a South of the Border Destroyer. And then he followed it up with the Phantom Driver. That's his finisher to win the match. Clean finish, by the way. I mean, I mean, I mean in terms of, you know, Santos didn't need to rely on help to win this match. You know, you, re- you barely see that nowadays. Um, he didn't get the Roman Reigns treatment, <laughs> per se. So, a heel winning clean to win this match but other than that it's like they didn't really do all that much to advance the story um that they're trying to tell with santos escobar and the rest of the lwo this is basically just a glorified 
technical work rate showcase that you've often seen on SmackDown in these last several months. So, yeah, not much story advancement here. So our fourth match before the main event, you had the Women's World Champion Rhea Ripley defending her title against Zoe Stark in like three weeks short notice that you basically saw Zoe Stark win a battle royal to earn this matchup against Rhea Ripley. Um, it was basically a battle royal setup, like the Raw after uh, Crown Jewel. So <laughs> not much was done to advance the story other than, oh, Zoe Stark invading, uh, invading Rhea Ripley's time with the Judgment Day. So it's like, yeah, I mean, this is this basically the most predictable uh, matchup on the card. Um, basically the, the worst matchup on the card. So <laughs> what more do you need me to say? Like, what more do you need me to say? It's like, this is basically more food for Rhea Ripley to feast on. Nothing more, nothing less. And you can really tell because Zoe Stark barely got a reaction from the crowd. And, you know, considering it's Chicago, you know, a wrestling city, a smart, a smart mark fan city. I thought they would be smarter than that. I don't know. Either way, they were not into Zoe, Zoe Stark at all. I mean, obviously, they were into Rhea Ripley because reasons in quotations but yeah they were not into this match at all um i mean zoe stark did show off uh, some of her athleticism early with some of those springboard moves i mean i'll, I'll give her that you know she has some uh good in ring skills but everything else about her it's like so bad it is so bad uh but Rhea dove into uh drove zoe into a ring post to take some control and i'll say this about Rhea ripley you know, for someone that calls uh, Rhea Ripley, uh, that nicknames herself the Eradicator or Mommy, dude, or Modern China, you know, I look at this match and she did a certain spot. It's like, dude, she could barely lift someone like Zoe Stark. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be the S word, but it's just like, dude, like, what are you doing? And it's like, I'm, I'm just trying to point it out there. And you're trying to do a tra transition suplex. It's like, Try to lift them up. Just try to lift them up. I know. I'm a, I'm a, I don't have the best strength in the world, but it's like, come on here. So anyway, um, they almost botched that spot, and then Zoe Stark completely botches this spot. Um, Rhea Ripley tries to go for a chop, top rope choke slam, but then Zoe, I don't know if she was trying to flip out a bit like Pac McAfee, or tries to do some top rope arm drag reversal on Rhea, but she completely botches it, and it almost could have ended badly. Um, she took a bad landing, uh, Rhea could have like broke her broke her ankles on the landing, so it was a completely botched spot. So that looked really bad. So the ending saw Zoe go for her Zoe Z three sixty finisher, but Rhea blocked the impact um, on the last moment, and then she headbutted uh, Zoe and she hit the Riptide to retain her women's world title. I mean, no surprise there. Um, Zoe's the latest victim on Mommy, as this was yeah. Like I said, the most predictable matchup on the card. I mean, <laughs> what more did you expect, ladies and gentlemen? What more did you expect? I mean, I always say I, I could see some people praising the crap out of Zoe for her uh, showing despite defeat, but she is botchy. There were some botchy moments in the back half of this match. So now the real question comes. Uh, I was going into this match thinking, would that certain someone show up to confront Rhea? During uh, after this match, thankfully that answer was no. Thankfully that answer was no. Um, at least not yet. At least th that certain someone 
didn't show up at the pay-per-view. But they're still raw. They're still raw. Um, and if that certain someone shows up on Raw, then the agenda, the agenda that I'm trying to push, the other fans are trying to push, is going to be dead and buried. So I'm hoping that that certain someone doesn't return on Raw during that Bears-Vikings game. So if that person doesn't show up on Raw, then the agenda stays alive. And hopefully they don't come back until the Royal Rumble match, during that Women's Royal Rumble match, where we can watch her and watch her finally live to win the Rumble and not have it be the man, the man. And yeah, just get that feud started already, man. Just get that feud started between Rhea and the man already. Like I said, don't waste your, don't waste your time until April with all these filler feuds which, uh, for them. Just get it rolling already. It's like, we already know what's going to happen anyway. We already know what's going to happen. And it's not going to benefit either one of them if, like I said, if Rhea wins, then you're going to have to figure out who you're going to feed her to next and, and find her eventual dethroner. If Becky wins, then you set the division back again. So <laughs> you, you, you have to mix it up. You, uh, some people will say, oh, it draws, it draws tickets, pal. Um, it's it main night one. Uh, not what we saw after tonight. Uh, not what we saw after yesterday. Mm-mm. Not what we saw after Survivor Series. No, no. You're not getting that precious uh, main event between Rhea and Becky night one. No, no, no. Not after what we saw in the main event of Survivor Series. So, hopefully, at least once we get past Monday... If that certain person doesn't show up uh, in, in a segment with Rhea or in a match with Rhea, after, post-match, post-segment, if they don't show up, they don't return then, we're good. We are good. Please, Triple H, think about it. Don't screw this up. You have a story, an actual story, not one that just relies on stare-downs, not one that WWE... Uh, that some certain WWE fans, some certain stands of the man are treating this like Rock versus Cena, Rock versus Austin. Oh, this is the female version of that. You have an actual story on your hands with the alternative. Try that for once. Try that with that person that needs that second chance. Come on. Come on here. So now let's get into the main event. Um, this is going to be a main event that certainly is going to have people talking because of... One or maybe even two individuals. So that main event was going to involve the men's War Games match. So your participants included the Judgment Day, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, Dominic Mysterio, JD McDonough, and Drew McIntyre going up against the super friends of Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, Sami Zayn, and the returning Randy Orton. This has basically been the culmination, hopefully it is the culmination, of a six to seven month long feud of endless rematches, endless opening segments, endless 50-50 booking between the Judgment Day and the Super Friends, which has consisted of Sami Zayn, Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, and then Jey Uso. It's been a never-ending feud on Raw that a lot of fans have been complaining about, I've been complaining about, and since then, I have fully... I have transitioned over to Monday Night Football because this shit sucks. This shit has completely sucked. 
the life out of me. So their feud did take an uptick. You know, Damian Priest and Balor won the tag team titles um, on uh, two separate occasions. And, you know, at least Adam Pierce, you know, he he saw that, okay, they've this has gone like seven mo- long months overdue. And a couple weeks ago, prior to this event, he finally grew a set and said, enough is enough. We're finally going to end this once and for all, hopefully. And he announced that the Judgment Day, along with JD McDonald's, would face the Super Friends inside War Games in Survivor Series. So this was initially going to be four on four, and then it became five on five after Drew McIntyre turned to the dark, to the, to the dark side after he teased it for like weeks on weeks. And he struck that deal that was also teased with Rhea Ripley as he caused Cody and Jay a tag team title rematch two weeks prior. So that left Cody and the Super Friends trying to find another member, one final member to their team. So everyone thought it was going to be another individual, but then it turned out to be this individual, Randy Orton. So Cody heavily implied that the final member of the team was going to be his old friend from Legacy, Randy Orton. So the advantage of this match would go to the Judgment Day. Um, Drew would win that advantage um, five days prior on Raw. So at least, you know, it made a little bit of sense for the heels to actually have the advantage in this match. So they were actually playing up all night long that Randy wasn't going to show up um, to help out Team Super Friends. And, you know, I I was a little bit concerned too, even prior to them not uh, playing up that fact because, you know, there was a little bit of advertising that didn't show Randy Orton. And if they actually pulled that bait and switch, I was I was going to be pissed off. Um, and I imagine that a lot of people were going to be pissed off. Um, so <laughs> if they did that, oh boy, they were going to be rioting in Chicago. They were going to be so mad if they did that. But yeah, that, yeah it's not good. Uh, that would have been not good. So anyway, for this War Games match, Finn Balor and Seth Rollins start things off for their teams. Um, but then you once you got to the actual match, Seth's team's cage was noticeably locked without Randy appearing. Um, and then you had the certain Chicago man chants beginning to ring, like real hard. So Seth tried to play them off by having them sing his song, you know, the little... Uh, ha, 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 uh. Yeah, that dumbass theme song of his. But then then you get the, the competitors piling in. Um, you have... Drew McIntyre um, trying... Oh, no. It wasn't Drew McIntyre trying to get in. It was uh, JD McDonald being the first man in into the match for Judgment Day, um, giving them the advantage. And then then you had Jey Uso, yeet, into the match next to even the score for his team. And then it seemed like Drew McIntyre was going to be the next one in, but Damian Priest was like held him back. He's like, no, no. Stick to the plan. So he's trying to act like the leader of the Judgment Day finally. Finally grow a set to Rhea Ripley. So I guess they're finally playing that off now. So he entered next and then Sami Zayn next entered for his, uh, for his team after a year ago, he was the key focal point of that match in that pretty good, um, bloodline versus team drew match. So that was a fun, that was a fun war games match last year. So anyway, he entered this, uh, his second war games match. And then now you had drew McIntyre, Enter next, he destroys Seth and Sammy so he can get to Jey Uso uh, because 
he has uh, PTSD from uh, Clash of the Castle still. So now Cody Rhodes is the next man out. But now uh, Super Friends' cage is empty because, well, Randy's not there. So now you have the last member uh, for the Judgment Day, which is Dominic, come out, who, of course, was booed hard by Chicago. And then <laughs> there's this funny spot where he tries to do the three amigos on Cody once he gets in. But then, of course, uh, he notices like, oh, uh, hey, guys, uh, <laughs> I was just trying to do this spot on Cody. And then they all gangbang. Uh, they, the Super Friends gangbang him. Um, they beat him up. <laughs> that, that was just funny. So now, um, as the match progresses, um, as you get to the three minutes that are going down and down and down, was he going to show up? Was the Viper going to slither in and save the day? Was was he going to even the score? So as the bad guys were dominating, the clock was ticking further. People were getting antsy if he was going to actually show up. Sooner rather than later, that question had to be answered because you get to the 22nd mark and Rollins is put through a table by Damian Priest. So now that Judgment Day is standing there and they're waiting for that fifth man, and if whether it's going to be Randy Orton or not, they were prepared. But then once that timer hit zero, they're still waiting. And then all of a sudden, Rhea Ripley comes out, her music hits, and then she's running down the ring with Jessica Carr, the referee. And then she's like rushing the ring and she's telling Jessica Carr, like, come on, get, get, get this thing cashed in, bro. <laughs> we need to cash this. She's trying to pull up money in the bank cash in for Damian Priest, which, you know, I thought could have actually happened in this match, by the way. Um, it would have been an interesting thought. But then voices ran in their head. They tickled them right in the. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say. But then, damn it, voices are here. It's. Randy! Randy! <laughs> Randy is back! Randy Orton showed! Randy Orton is back and he looks jacked! The Viper went ham on everybody. Dominic, McDonald's, Balor. And there was a point where, you know, everyone ganged up on Randy Orton. Uh, the super friend got backed up to help out their friend. And they all went together with Randy hit the stereo, draping DDT on everyone, and it was electric, man. It was so fun to see Randy Orton back in the ring. Even though he didn't do, he did his signature, uh, signature uh, moves. Dude, it was so fun to see, man. This was so fun fun to watch. To finally see Randy Orton back. I mean, yeah, okay, I, I'm, a, I'm an Orton fan. Like, don't get, don't get me wrong. He, some people say, oh, he's boring at times, but his later day, like, it's later heydays, dude. He, he, he's interesting. He's really he, he is interesting. But man, just seeing him back in the ring after a year away, and the the thought of him never being able to compete again because of the fusion back surgery, three fusion back surgeries, I think. That was fun. That is fun to watch. He looks like he, as if he never had the back the back injury. So that was fun to see. That was really fun to see. And then he looks poised to hit the RKO on Damian Priest. Um, he's pounding your fist, but then he turns his attention to Jey Uso. Um, so he looks like he's going to hit the RKO on Jay because for those that were unaware, Jay and Jimmy, when they were in the bloodline last year, 
They took out Randy Orton um, in storyline to write him off TV for that back injury. But then Jay Uso recognizes that. He's like, dude, dude. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, man. But then Randy Orton's like, I didn't forget. I didn't forget. But then Jay, being su- he was super aware that Damien got back up. He super kicks, he super kicks Priest. And then he, Dominic gets an RKO, which pretty much led to a finisher fest for the Super Friends. Cody hits Balor with the Cody Cutter. Rollins hits Priest with a curb stomp on the metal plate in the middle of the, uh, the structure. Sammy and Jay hit Drew with a Haluva kick and an Uso splash. And that left none other than JD McDonuts in the ring all alone. And the Super Friends are pretty much all there surrounding his ass. And his first instinct was to, oh, well, fuck it. I'm just going to forfeit. <laughs> I'm just going to leave this this war game structure and call it a day for my team. But then Sammy and Seth catch him on top of the cage. And, well, lying in wait was Randy Keith Orton. And once the McDonuts were thrown down, in came in the RKO from Orton. And then Randy's like, okay, Cody. You can finish this match. And then he hands Priest over to Cody for the crossroads to get the win for the Super Friends. And oh man, those last those last five minutes of that match, ugh, that, that was so good. That, that was so good. At least to see Randy Orton back after such a long time away. I, I Man, you know that saying, uh, the heart grows fonder when they're away for so long or whatever, maybe that kind of similar saying. It, it felt good. It really felt good to see Randy Orton back after such a long time away. But most of this match itself was uh, really not that interesting, just like with the Women's War Games match. You know, when, when until the match officially begins, not a lot of, not a lot much um, happens because, well, everyone's trying to get in, because and both teams are trying to trade the advantage or disadvantage. But, I mean, I, I will say, you know, the men's match was better paced than the women's because everyone's, at least with the men's they weren't trying to do all these spots compared to the women's uh, side so hey this was a better paced match a better balanced match than the women's and they did have a slightly better story um than the women's side of things so um going in though um there was uh, a little bit of concern on my part uh how randy orm was gonna play a role in this match because like you know he's been out for a year with that career-threatening back injury, um, how protective we're going to be of him, um, and how how he's going to perform. I'm and there are also questions about. Um, they brought up Jay, Jay Uso's checkered past with Randy when he was with the Bloodline, and you know, like I said, with Damian Priest, you know, he has the money in the bank briefcase. Was he going to cash in on Seth during the match? They pretty much checked all the boxes. They pretty much answered all the questions in that match. Um, Randy had no restrictions, um, and even if he hit the RKO, it seemed like he tried to land in a different spot when he landed the move. So he's trying to find different ways to protect himself, which is good. And they even teased the Randy RKOing Jay for what the bloodline did to him. So I like that they're at least trying to maybe advance uh, a, a few between the two, like later down the line. And then that cash in, which you know kind of made Rhea look stupid, and so did Damian Priest before Randy made his great return. But you know, at least something, at least something happened in this match. So all in all, you know, 
I'm glad they didn't do the bait and switch because at least, you know, if they did, that would make Triple Nose look stupid. But even he isn't that dumb. Even he, for all his flaws, is not that stupid. So most of this match was meh, but the return of Orin was really well done. It was really well done. Um, the, the crowd went roaring for him. And I just hope that going forward on Raw, everyone has a fresh slate. No more Judgment Day versus XYZ babyface people for for good. Let's start off with a clean slate. Now that we're heading into this dead period in winter, um, people are probably going to go back to, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe people will be going back to watching football after this. Um, but nonetheless, time to end this Judgment Lame versus XYZ uh, dead, dead saga uh, for good after this. Put an end to it now. Starting on Raw. Fresh, clean slate. Uh, heading into the Royal Rumble. But the night wasn't over yet. Um, we thought the night was over um, with the return of the Viper. Because, you know, you got this wide shot. This wide camera shot of the arena. You know, the war game structure overlooking uh, everybody in, in the arena. And Michael Cole looked to sign off. You had the little graphic at the side. It said... Oh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Survivor Series press conference uh, up next. But then a familiar static shot <laughs> went off. And then a remastered version of Cult of Personality blasted through the Allstate Arena. And then the certain Chicago man's name appeared, plastered all over the Trons and over the video boards. And out he came. In the roar of the crowd, 1CM. Punk. I, I'll be honest with you. I did not expect it. I did not expect CM Punk to actually mend the fence, make, make peace with the WWE after what they did with them. But hey, I gotta give them both credit. Time really does heal all wounds. You know, never say never. Um, it's it's this is this is this was I, I'll for as. Critical as I've been with Punk, this was good. This was good. This was this was so. This was like very surprising. This is very surprising. I'm like, damn. And you know, I just got a text message from. I got. A, I just got a DM from my friend, and it was just like, is is I know my dreaming too, or did they actually sign Punk back? This is legit. This, this is legit, dude. This is legit. I mean, damn, I, I'm still in disbelief that CM Punk is actually back in WWE. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the guy, but I think he, he can be, he can try to do something with this second run. CM Punk is a really good mic worker and he can go in the, he can go in the ring, Well, we'll see if he can still have that, have that, I don't, I don't want to say aura because that's an overrated word. He can have, he can have a go in the ring still but i will say this he has plenty of rebuilding um backstage to do he has a lot of rebuilding because everything that happened in the last two years with AEW, everything that happened in the last several years uh especially with his exit everything that he said uh post exit in wwe and, and after in 2014 pissed off a lot of people it pissed off a lot of people ruined his reputation there's a reason why he's had the issues with people like Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, 
Kevin Owens. He's pissed off a lot of people um, in the past and currently. That's why, look at Seth Rollins, for example. He was, I don't know, he looked legit pissed after the show went off the air. Maybe he was just working the crowd. But, I don't know, man. Some people may be legit pissed that uh, CM Punk is back in WWE. Well, uh, I don't know. It could, it can be just you know a work, or legit. Either way, I think that Punk being back in WWE, it it can it could work, it could work just that, you know, as long as long as they all stay professional, all as they all, <laughs> as they all can see that the end goal. Okay, this is about business. This is about business. They don't try to make it about themselves. Don't try to be marks at the end of the day. Because at least with WWE, they can run things more smoothly than AEW ever has been. Because with Triple H, uh, I mean, at first, I think that that big nose, you know, for that big nose goof that he is, at least he's more professional. He's learned from experience that he can run a tighter ship than Tony Khan can. So that's why CM Punk is just like, okay, if I had enough of this, this company's run by children. So maybe WWE's not so bad after all. Maybe um, after I, he's left from All In, after that that issue with All In, which part of it was his fault, um, and so it was the All Out Brawl Out. Maybe he took some time to reflect um, and maybe reflect with what, what he did, um, try to, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, try to, in a way, it, it, it's it's a very interesting situation. Like, it's a very interesting situation of, can he, can, can he be a better professional person? Can he be a better professional person while also not coming off as an asshole, getting overly confrontational, getting overly emotional behind the scenes? Because I think that's what rubs people the wrong way. He does say a lot of truthful things about, today's wrestlers some people backstage but he does it in the wrong way that's what rubs people off so it'll be interesting how this works i hope that whatever um whatever things go on in the long run they, they better work out because if this smacks smacks in the face of triple h then it can go badly it can go really badly so yeah, they they surprisingly got CM Punk back. Um, I preferred the Randy Orton return better, but hey, they got their man back. I'm legit surprised that they pulled this off. I mean, yeah, they teased it. They teased it hella <laughs> for the last two months. I mean, I didn't. I personally didn't think it was gonna happen. I thought it was just like, oh, okay. Um, they they were gonna just leave it leave it be. They're just trolling. But no, they actually did it, folks. CM Punk after nine years away. Um, is back in the WWE. Time truly does heal all wounds um, with Triple H, CM Punk. I don't know if Vince was involved in it either, but either way, damn. Uh, let's see how it works out. Um, but all I know is that CM Punk is going to have some serious work to do if he wants to gain the respect of that of that place he once called home for the last nine years um, from 05 to 14. And Ironically enough, it's been he returned uh, nearly a decade after he first left. So, damn. And I will say this last thing 
um, with CM Punk's return. For those of you that were really begging, that were crying, that were uh, advocating for Rhea Ripley versus Becky Lynch on the main event of WrestleMania Night One, you can kiss that goodbye. You can you can shove that out the door because oh, you know Endeavor is gonna, you know Triple H is surely gonna go all in on Seth Rollins versus CM Punk headlining that first night of WrestleMania in Philadelphia now. Sorry. Sorry for those that wanted Rhea versus Becky. Nope. Not happening anymore. Uh, on that night one main event. It's going to be Seth versus Punk. Night one. We'll see how they how we get there. Uh, but Punk back in WWE. Should be interesting what he has to say. Whether it's on Monday on Raw or on SmackDown. Hey. Maybe this is not such a dark period winter after all. So overall, with Survivor Series 2023, wall games, most of the show was just uh, <laughs> very middling. A lot of filler. Um, but, you know, the returns of Randy Orton and CM Punk certainly had me talking. Certainly had everyone else talking. Um, I did enjoy the Gunther versus Miz match. So at least that was something. But yeah, everything else was just filler. Um, but yeah, I'm more excited to see what Randy Orton does um, than CM Punk because, you know, CM Punk's a good... A uh, really good mic worker, um, a good in-ring worker. But I mean, hopefully he can stick to that with his age. But the fallout of both their returns is going to be interesting to watch. Let's see how Triple H falls, uh, follows up with that. I really hope he has good plans for both of them because <laughs> some of his, most of his returns haven't had exactly good follow-ups. So honestly, he has me intrigued for for Raw this Monday. Um, yeah, I can't believe I'm saying that. I might might actually be more intrigued to watch Raw on Monday than whatever Monday night football game that they have. Oh, yeah, it's the Chicago Bears going up against the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, Bears football. Yeah, primetime Bears football again. So, yeah. I'm more intrigued uh, to watch what Punk has to say, what Randy has to say on Raw, um, and whatever... Justin Fields and Josh Dobbs have, have going on in the mini on prime time. So yeah, let me know your thoughts on survivor series. Uh, let me know your thoughts on CM Punk's return, Randy Orange return, um, or anything else that happened on this show, whether it's in the comments on YouTube or a DM on social media on X or Instagram, send me a message and let's get a conversation going about survivor series wall games, 2023. But anyway, that is it for episode number 170 of Very Cold Lasagna. I am your host, Dylan Lasagna, signing out of another icy yet spicy sports podcast episode. And as always, keep the lasagna very cold in the fridge on the world of sports. And officially for all my wrestling fans out there and for my audio listeners out there, we are on the road to the Royal Rumble. And yeah, it's going to be a long wait, but we will see what happens um, in these next two months as we begin the road to the Rumble and the road to WrestleMania going into 2024. But until then, until next time, make sure you tune into the stuff that I'm posting on YouTube with the NFL stuff and some occasional WWE content on Very Cold Lasagna on YouTube. So subscribe there. But until then, until next time, until the next episode, peace out.